Uh, today we have an incredible treat for you, some incredible friends of mine and Kristen, Jack and Sheila Harper, who uh, started and continue to lead a ministry called Save One, are here today. And love these people. And first of all, as I said, I figure Kristen had known them longer than I have. And the reason why I say that is because in the Tennessee Assemblies of God, Kristen has known everyone longer than I have because I'm, I'm a relative newcomer. But she said, not really. So, uh, ha-ha, finally. <laughs> I guess that just means that I've been around a while now. But uh, Jack and Sheila are incredible friends, incredible encouragers, and I am honored to have them here today. And listen, there's something about our church that that hasn't always been true, but it's becoming more and more true, is that we are going to be willing to talk about the things that other people don't want to talk about. And we live in a world where they're not afraid to talk about it. And so if the church remains silent, the world will think the church has nothing to say about it. And so we have to step up to the challenge, uh, led of the Holy Spirit, empowered by the Holy Spirit to speak to these issues. And today, as I invite Jack and Sheila, they are here to talk about some hard stuff today, but good stuff. Well, I'm so thankful to be here. And Pastor Drew is right. This is a tough subject, what we're going to be talking about. But do you know how happy I am when I find pastors who aren't afraid to talk about tough subjects in the church because this is where we should be talking about tough subjects because we're all dealing with these tough subjects. And so we've got to have a place to come and lay these burdens down. But, but as Pastor Drew said, my name is Sheila Harper. I'm the founder and president of a nonprofit organization called Save One. And what we do is we help men, women, and families recover after abortion. And we do that because we feel that this is the greatest deterrent to abortion that we have, is helping those who know the truth get the hope and healing from Jesus Christ and then be in our communities telling that truth. Because the truth is what sets us free. And this law, the laws and this issue has had us in bondage for way too long. And it's time we set people free. We've been doing this for 23 years. It is our life's work. We've dedicated our life to it because we feel that this is a subject that is worthy of life, of laying down your life for. We, when we started this 23 years ago, it was all born out of my own abortion pain from an abortion I had at 19 years old in Chattanooga. It was by far the most regrettable mistake of my entire life. When I found out I was pregnant, I went to my best friend and she said, oh, just have an abortion. It's no big deal. I had one when I was 15. And so when she said that, oh, it's no big deal. She's done it. And so it's no big deal. And so I thought, okay, well, it's no big deal. So we made the appointment. And as the, the date got closer, I started feeling like this feels like a big deal. It didn't feel right inside. But I, I looked at society, and I knew that the Supreme Court had made this law, and, you know, they wouldn't make something that was legal that was bad for me, or so I thought at 19. And so I, I saw the movie stars, and I saw the politicians, and they were all saying that this was my right, that it was my choice, that this was good for me, and I should champion this, this choice. It's my body, right? 
And so I, that's how I justified the decision. I went there that day and I left there a completely different person. I remember being in the waiting room and seeing all these girls come in. And I knew I was feeling like this is really, this really feels like a big deal. But they were flipping through magazines. By the time they started calling our number, if you ever go to a doctor's office and they only refer to you as a number, run in the opposite direction. But when they started calling our numbers, I remember just looking around and they, they looked like girls just like me. But afterward, I remember they took me, the recovery room was a room filled with beanbag chairs. And they laid me in a corner and I could see the whole room. And I remember thinking every single one of those girls and myself, we just got rid of our worst problem. But every girl, including myself, that was in that room was crying, was balled up in the fetal position. Nobody was talking. Nobody was getting eye contact. It's a, it was a horrible room that I would never wish on my worst enemy. I got out of there as quickly as I could, and I spent the next seven years just hating myself. I attempted suicide. I became reliant upon drugs and alcohol just to get through the day so I could just numb my conscience so I wouldn't have the flashbacks and I wouldn't have the nightmares. And I spent seven years like that until I finally found my way through a radio commercial, this random radio commercial. I heard it be, it be advertised that we have a class for you if you're suffering after an abortion. And I remember just thinking, how in the world could a class help me? But I remember also thinking that there's enough of us that they actually had to form a class because I had so isolated myself, I didn't know anybody else was suffering. I just knew what the world had told me. And I knew that what they were telling me and what was computing on the inside was not the same. And so I went through this class and it was so incredible because the very first night, everybody in the room was telling my story of suicide attempts, suicidal thoughts, of drug and alcohol abuse, not being able to hold a relationship because you're, you're so afraid somebody's gonna find out your secret. It was incredible to realize like th this was a big deal. I just spent the last seven years and everything that they're saying to me validated those seven years of hell that I just lived through. And so the people running this class, they introduced me to a Jesus who forgives the sin of abortion. It was an incredible discovery. I did not know a Jesus like that existed. <laughs> I thought he could never accept me back. I could never turn back to him in any capacity, but they showed me differently and I have not been able to be quiet about him since then. I refuse to allow my brothers and sisters to believe the same lie that I believed that abortion was no big deal. It is a big deal. As a, as a woman, as a man, as a mother, a father, when God created us, he put within us a nature to nurture and protect our children. That's why as a parent, we would take a bullet for our kids and not even think twice about it. That's our nature. 
Our nature was never to choose death for our children. And because we were never created to make that choice, he did not put within us the emotional, the spiritual, or the mental capacity to deal with the aftermath. We weren't created to deal with that. And so that's why this problem is different. You don't know what to do with it. It's like you're just walking around trying to manage it. And we look at it on this human level, a problem that can only be dealt with by divine intervention. He is the only one who can heal from the inside out and transform our hearts. And so as soon as I got through that class, it, I, was, I was so happy. I had been liberated like I never even knew existed. I started working at the, at the pregnancy center that offered me help. We started volunteering. We became donors. I wanted to do everything I could for them because I was so thankful that they showed me the way out. And before long, I was teaching their abortion recovery classes. Fast forward a few years, I've been in the life movement a long time. Fast forward a few years, we moved to Nashville. We get involved in a big church up there, and I offer, do you want me to teach this class, you know, this Bible? Because not everybody wants this subject in their church. And this pastor said, yes, let's do it. The very first night we offered that class, 10 women showed up. And I remember one woman said, if I could just save one unborn baby, I would be willing to tell my story. And I remembered all of those other classes that I taught in Chattanooga, somebody had said that. But this night it was different. It was like all the bells and whistles went off and I knew God was telling me something. And so I started praying about it and going back each week and telling these girls like, this is what I feel like God wants me to do. I feel like he wants me to start some kind of ministry. <laughs> I didn't know what to do. I had never started a ministry or especially not a nonprofit organization. But one of the girls said, well, we have to call it Save One because that's what we're going to be doing. Telling our stories so other people don't make the same mistake we did. But then God took me to Proverbs 18, 21 that says the power of life and death are in our tongue. And then he took me to Revelation 12, 11 that says we overcome the enemy by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. We become more powerful than the enemy when we're covered by the blood of the Lamb as a child of God, and we just start speaking out what God has done for us. That's why I know the recovery piece of the life movement is the key to ending abortion in our country and around our world. We can make abortion unthinkable even before it becomes illegal in all 50 states. We can be excited about Roe being overturned, that's wonderful, but the other side just found a new level of evil through chemical abortion. If you wanna know more about that, I don't have time to go into all of that, come and see us at the table, ask us, what, what's this chemical abortion? We'll tell you. We tell people all the time what we're dealing with now. But we will not stop, we will not relent. We're building an army of truth tellers who are no longer willing to be silent and let people think this is no big deal. It's a very big deal. Our stories, when we tell them, they're powerful, just like I said. But just a couple of weeks ago, just to show you what you're partnering with, this is just one of tens of thousands of stories that we have. But we have a girl who does all our graphics. 
I have never even laid my eyes on this girl. I hired her through a company. She lives in a state like six or seven states away. She does all our graphics for Save One. She puts together our books. So she's worked with my story a lot. And she's put it in books and she's reworked it for, you know, for graphics and things like that. Well, she called me. We never, I've never even heard her voice. <laughs> we talk, she calls me. I'm like, why is she calling? I answered, she said, oh my gosh, I just had to talk to you. And I said, what is happening? What's wrong, you know? And she said, a, a young girl that's attached to our family, she came to me last night and she said, I'm pregnant, but I'm gonna have an abortion. My mother think it's, thinks it's the right thing to do. And so I'm gonna go through with it. I have the appointment this Saturday. And she said, I panicked. I didn't know what to do. So the only thing I knew to do was, I just told her your story. And she changed her mind. She chose life. And my friend, my friend was so shocked that it was so easy to just change her mind just like that. But all she had to do was tell the story. And it's not because my story is some magnificent story. It's your story, and it's your story, and it's your story, and it's your story. Our stories are power. And so I love coming back and saying thank you, looking you in the eyes and saying thank you for partnering with us. Thank you for caring about life. Thank you for realizing that this is not a political issue, but an issue that should be in the local church. Thank you for not sending them any nasty emails this week. Champion the fact that your, your pastors want to talk about life. They love you enough to do that. So thank you guys. Thank you for investing in us. Thank you for sending us. Thank you for the lives that you have saved. And so we have a table out there. We would love to talk to you afterwards. Come and get a t-shirt, pick up our Bible studies, and just we would just love to hug you and thank you and, and, and say hi. So I'll turn it over to Jack now. Thank you guys. Good morning. God's good, right? It's good to hear a good report. We're going to be in Mark 10, uh, verse 46 through 52. I'm going to pray and then we're going to get started. Father, we love you. Lord, we thank you that you are always with us, that you never leave us nor forsake us. God, that you're for us, not against us. Lord, that you've poured out mercy, you've poured out grace. For every situation, it doesn't matter what it is, God, you are the answer. And so, Lord, we just look this morning at this short passage of Scripture, but, Lord, it says so much. And so, Lord, we want to receive that. So open our ears, open our minds, Lord, open our hearts, and let us see you in all of this. In Jesus' name, everybody said, Amen. Amen. Sheila told you that she started that Bible study at our church that we were going to in 1998. That, that Bible study has now become 400 chapters of Save One in 28 nations around the world. The books have been translated into 25 different languages. And all of that happens through God. We, we are, we, we, I don't think either one of us have ever taken a marketing class. We just go where the Holy Spirit says go and that... that that's a good way to do marketing right there. Amen. 
Mark 10, verse 46 through 52, if you've got your Bibles with you, if you've got it on your phone, your iPad, and if you don't have it in any of those places, I think we've got it on the big Bible behind me here, okay? Now they came to Jericho, and as he went out of Jericho with his disciples and a great multitude, his disciples and a multitude, there's a whole bunch of people following Jesus right here. Blind Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, sat by the road begging. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. You see what happened right there? Blind Bartimaeus is sitting there begging, and he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus of Nazareth is who he was, where he's from. It's like Kristen from Savannah. Kristen from Savannah, that'll get you a little place, but not much. But when it's Pastor Kristen, Pastor Kristen carries an anointing. She carries the office of pastor. She, she has responsibilities that go with that. And the anointing is what you are drawn to with her. Sheila and I have known her for a little while, but it is so cool to watch her in ministry, to stand up here and to lead, and for Pastor Drew, for us to get to see in ministry him taking care of people. That altar call at the end of worship, that was a pastor's heart. That's a love for people. And if he, if he thinks for a second that you're not connected the way you should be with Jesus, he wants to help you with that. You should give them a hand right now. They are a gift from God. So when blind Bartimaeus says, Jesus, son of David, what he's doing is he's taking him away from the carpenter and he's saying, hey, son of David, which means Messiah, which means the anointed one. He knows that is the person that can make a difference in his life. See, words have meaning. Words are powerful. Sheila said it earlier, the power of death and life are in the tongue. And so when he, blind Bartimaeus is speaking, he's speaking to the one that can change things for him, not build him a shelf, right? You guys with me? Have mercy on me. And then, many warned him to be quiet. Can I just tell you, not everybody can get you to Jesus. Not everybody has the, the capacity or the wherewithal to understand that people need to be brought to Jesus, not to be shushed. And here they are, shushing him, trying to get him to quieten down. Why are they worried about that? Why, the reason they're worried about it is because he, he's embarrassing them. Can I tell you sometimes... Somebody coming to Jesus is a little bit embarrassing. You know, it's just a little bit out of our comfort zone. It's out of our box. But do they still need Jesus? Of course they do. They shushed him. They tried to get him to be quiet, but he cried out all the more. Son of David, have mercy on me. Can I just tell you that there's times when you'll cry out and then you'll cry out some more and it doesn't matter what people around you are saying. It's okay just to push to to get to Jesus, to get to that moment where you have that revelation of who He is for the situation that you're in. Have mercy on me. 
What is it that we would pursue in spite of the shushers? What is it that we would pursue in spite of those who would want us to calm down and do it a different way? What is it that's hurting in our lives so much that we would try something out of the box so that we could get to Jesus? So Jesus stood still. He stopped what he was doing and commanded him to be called. Bart, get over here, man. Something's changing in your life right now. When we came in here today, we started praising and worshiping. And the Bible says that, we, that Jesus inhabits the praise of our people. So he inhabits the praise in here. He, he came and sat down with you. He started to abide with you. He started to take up residency with you. Whatever's going on in your life, he's here. And he's now and he will take care of it if you will allow that to happen. Sometimes we have to just say it in our head over and over. Sometimes we have to say it out loud with our voice. Sometimes we have to cry out. But it doesn't matter how you get there just as long as you get there. And as long as you get to the one that can make the change, which is Jesus, there's only one path. So they called the blind man. The shushers, all of a sudden, they're on his team now. Hey, Bart, he wants to talk. That's great. Be of good cheer. Rise, he's calling you. Be of good cheer. He, they're telling him, cheer up, man. This is going to work. You got a chance here. And then if there's one thing that I can just, like if I could point to one thing I want you guys to get for this morning. This is it right here. And throwing aside his garment. You see, as a beggar, he had, a, he had a, this big blanket kind of thing that he had. That blanket is it's like a permit that you get from the codes department. It allowed him to be a beggar. It allowed him to, to sit and beg in public. In fact, it was such an important item in the Old Testament, it'll tell you that, that you could use that to secure a loan. It was of that much importance. And him having that meant that he could spread that out and sit down and people could walk by and they could toss money onto that and he would be able to just pull the corners up and he would be able to bring the money to him. He didn't have to search for it all over the place. This was his identity. It's his comfort at night. It's his warmth. But when he stood up, he went all in with it. When he stood up, he got rid of the very identity that had been with him for however long he had been begging and say, so, you know what, when I, when I go to Jesus and when I come back, I don't need that anymore. Every once in a while, we've just got to shed something that says, you know what, I'm not shame and I'm not going to carry that back with me. When I go to Jesus, when I ask Him, I don't have to deal with that anymore. I might have guilt, but I can drop that off. I don't have to deal with it anymore. Maybe somebody has perpetrated something against you and I don't know what it would be. Maybe they, they swindled you in a, in a financial thing. Maybe they betrayed you. You thought that they were your friend and all of a sudden you find out they're not your friend. I don't know what it is, but I can tell you this. You forgiving them is going to release you. It's not going to release them. If you forgive them and you let that go, you don't have to carry it anymore. 
And if you'll, let, if you'll let God work that other part out and you just walk in the freedom that forgiveness gives you, you're going to love life a whole lot better. He rose and he came to Jesus. And so Jesus asked him, what do you want me to do for you? Can you imagine this? You're blind, you want help, you cry out to Jesus. They say, Jesus wants you over here. Come on, Bart. You get over in front of him and then Jesus asks, what do you want? Don't you think Jesus already knew what he wanted? Why did he have him say it? Because words are powerful. And this is what he said. He said, Rabbi, that I might receive my sight. That word receive there means to get it back, to get, have it again. In other words, he had sight, he lost his sight, and now he wants it back. It's like Sheila had peace, she lost her peace, now she wants it back. When I was 13, I started drinking. Thought I was cool. As a 13-year-old, we all go camp out, I drink beer, I, you think no big problem? Can I tell you those other guys, no problem. With me, it unlocked a rage in me that I couldn't stop. Every day as a 13-year-old after that, I wanted to drink. I wanted to get with somebody that would take me to drink. As a 14- and 15-year-old, same thing. As a 16-year-old, I had a car, and I could go and do as I pleased. Had a part-time job. Had a little bit of money. And so my life just spiraled out of control every day drinking. And then I get a scholarship. Even in spite of my drinking, I get a scholarship to play baseball at UTC in Chattanooga. I go on there and drink my way off of the scholarship. My grades beat me home. My dad's standing there with my grades when I come in the door. He's like, I'm not paying for this. I don't blame him. He said, you got to get a job. So I get a job. What do I have now? I have more money than I've ever had. So it's drinking and drugs. My life is just totally messed up. And then I'm sitting in downtown Chattanooga about halfway through her life being unhinged. After the abortion, I'm sitting in a bar and she comes walking by. And I'm like, oh my gosh. She's got to be 5'12", right? <laughs> and I said to my friend, I'm going to marry her. And he said, you're an idiot. You don't even know who she is. August 6th. Of this year, we celebrated 35 years of marriage. Yeah. God's good. He puts an alcoholic together who's a hot mess. He puts somebody in the middle of seven years of being unhinged after, the, you know, after their, their choice that has just wrecked her life. And she's a hot mess. And we just decided two big hot messes would be better as one big hot mess. And so we did it, man. We did it. We got married. And for 10 years, our life was a mess. It was because of me, because I was an alcoholic. And, and she got her healing in 92. And she, she just figured out if Jesus could do that for me, for her, then he could do it for me. Yeah. You ever been somebody's project? You wouldn't be going, yeah. That <laughs> Being somebody's project, that ain't all that cool. So we have these passionate conversations about going to church on Sunday morning I'm like not of the opinion that we need to go to church. I don't think I need any help. That's real smart. You're an alcoholic and you don't need help. And, and she's knowing that Jesus could, is the answer. He could fix me like I needed fixing. 
And so we just go through this, this tough, tough time in our, in our marriage. I mean, it's like we, we're not of the same mindset. We're not 100% together. And so she starts taking these classes online to, to, to help. It's how to make your li- husband's life hell on earth if he don't go to church with you. <laughs> Straight A student. She's valedictorian of her class. And my life, my life is great, right? So September 5th of 98, it's the first, do we have UT football fans in the house here? Okay. First game of the championship year, I start drinking at 10 in the morning, preparing for this 7 o'clock game that night. You know, you, gotta, you can't just walk into a game. You get to start early. I start early. I drink all day. I, I pass out finally at some point. The next morning, she gets me up, and she says, are we going to church? Now, I, I was a 23-year alcoholic at that point, 23 years. I didn't always feel bad when I drank, but I, that day, I didn't feel good. And I did, didn't want to argue with her, so I said, yeah, we're, we're going to church. I didn't want to argue. I, didn't want to, I wanted there to be peace in the house. I mean, you know, just give me a break here. <laughs> and so we go in. We sit down in church. Third row back, I'll seat left-hand side of the building. It's an altar of victory for me. And we're sitting there, and I don't even know what the pastor is preaching, but this is what I do know. The Lord started speaking. He said, Jack, give me everything or I'm going to take everything from you. And I knew that meant my wife and my kids because here I was. I had been given a precious gift, and I'm treating them like whatever because I'm the most important thing. It's, it's all about me. It's all about manipulating so I can drink. I knew I needed a savior. I just didn't want somebody to tell me how to do it. I didn't want a Lord in my life. And the very thing I didn't want is what I acknowledged first. I said, Lord, I want to do this, but I don't know how. And he said, I'll take you by the hand and lead you home. And so I, that day, September 6, 1998, I inhaled as an alcoholic. I exhaled as a child of God. He delivered me in that moment. And I haven't had drugs or alcohol in 25 years. That's God. That's what God does. Sometimes we need help with our faith. Sometimes it's our faith that struggles a little bit. And we need somebody around us. Like the four guys that carried the guy, the crippled guy in and... They couldn't get him to Jesus, so they tore up the roof and let him down. You know, in that scripture in Matthew, it says that Jesus saw their faith. He saw their faith. And sometimes we need to have faith for people. Sometimes we just look at a situation and we say, Lord, increase our faith. Can I just tell you, Bart here, he, he had faith when he was screaming out, Jesus, son of David, help me. But that wasn't all that he did. He had faith when he tore off the cloak, but that wasn't all the faith. He said, I don't need it when I come back. That was great. That's two times. But then he had faith when he said, Rabbi, I want my sight again. I want my sight back. Three times he had faith there. Sometimes we just need to release our faith in different ways, but God will meet that somewhere along the way. I don't know how, but I know he does it. Then Jesus said to him, go your way, your faith has made you well. 
Your faith has made you well. Maybe it's your friend's faith that's going to make you well today. Maybe it's your faith that's going to make you well. I don't know what it is, but I do know this. Jesus does it. This, this is what it said. Immediately he received his sight and he followed Jesus on the road. Can I just tell you, when something miraculous has happened... When I was delivered, I didn't want to do anything else. I haven't done anything else. I just wanted to follow Jesus. I wanted to be where Jesus was. I want to be where Jesus is. Sheila, she didn't go through this deliverance moment. She went through a discipleship deliverance where week after week after week, she went into God's Word and God's Word started renewing her mind. And when He renewed her mind, she could... She could then walk in the fullness of who He had called her to be to begin with. We have rightful places in the kingdom, but we let things that have damaged us and broken us keep us from being in that rightful place. Can I tell you, this is the most incredible worship team that you guys have. Yes. But if you're sitting out there and you, you've, something is broken in you and you have the talent to sing or play and you're not up here and helping them, maybe they need to be two teams. I don't know. I'm not trying to fix you all here. Maybe there's two teams where somebody doesn't have to do it every single week. But if you would use your talent, maybe that could happen. you got to shake off. you got to drop off that old thing and, and start walking in the new thing that Jesus has for you. And not only does that happen for you, but it happens for the church. Luke 18 is the same story that we just read. Here's what it says in 1843. This is the very end of it. Because he had the disciples, he had the multitudes, but then it says this, all the people. I looked that up in the Greek, I looked it up in the Hebrew, I looked it up in English. Do you know what all means? All. All. All the people saw it, and they gave praise to God. That means what's happening in here, the miraculous that happens in here, the deliverance that happens in here, the change in people that happens in here, people out there are going to see it, and they're going to be drawn to God. They're going to recognize that something's different. They may ask you some tough questions. They may ask, are you one of those tongue-talking churches? Say, yes! And we enjoy it. Just let God be God. I got three questions for you guys this morning. Three questions. And I'm going to ask you in succession, and I'm going to ask you to close your eyes and bow your heads. Pastor Drew already talked to you about this, but this is, this is something that Sheila and I never do. Because sometimes when you hear what... A Jesus that loves you so much or loved us so much that He loves you the same that maybe it just affects you in a different way than the question from a few minutes ago. Pastor Drew asked you about salvation, about maybe it's grown cold or maybe you've never had it. Maybe there was somebody in the room that just couldn't raise their hand at that moment. But now that you've heard about Jesus, this Jesus who loves, who, who takes care of, who delivers, Maybe you want to raise your hand now that you couldn't well ago. Is there anybody in this room that their relationship with Jesus just needs fixed? It's either the first time or it's a rekindling or maybe it's just gone, grown cold and you want to get it back to where it was. Are you in the room right now? Just raise your hand if that's you. Anybody? I see you. Thank you. I see you. See? 
God's so good. Anybody else? Anybody else in this room? You can put your hands back down. Anybody else? So we're going to say a simple prayer for those. Those of you that just raised your hand, see Pastor Drew, see Pastor Kristen. Make sure you let them know what God has spoken to you this morning. And that you want them to help you. Because this church will help. They're here to help. Just repeat this prayer with me. As you, as you say this prayer, this is your salvation moment. This is your September 10th, 2023. From this day forward, this is your day. Say, Heavenly Father, in Jesus' name, I ask forgiveness. God, I pray that you would cleanse me of all unrighteousness. God, I accept your Lordship in my life. I can't do this by myself. I need you to take me home. In Jesus' name. Give my hand, guys. Give my hand right now. Close your eyes, bow your heads again. This time on stage, in the back, doesn't matter where you are, I want you to have those eyes closed. I won't even ask the question if I see somebody looking around. Abortion is such a such an issue that it just hits so deep, so deeply. If you're in this room, I'm not going to ask you to stand up. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, and I'm not going to ask you to come forward. But I believe the Lord wants somebody, several people, many people, to start the process of healing. Sheila mentioned what she went through. There's been 65 million people who've gone out the back door of those abortion clinics. 65 million. That's women. There's 65 million men who lost fatherhood. There's two sets of grandparents on each side of that of that one child that lost his life. Listen, this is, this is the pandemic in our society today. This is it. There's, there is n hardly any family ever that has not been touched by this. And if you've been touched by it, if you made the choice, if the choice was made for you, if you didn't get a ch chance to have say-so as a father, if you lost a grandchild or a sibling or an aunt or uncle, niece or nephew it's touched you and it's time that, the, that we took some ground back that, that the enemy doesn't just get to rule and reign in our thoughts anymore so this morning if you've been touched by it all I want you to do is just look up at me, don't, don't thank you I see you I see you guys, just look at me I see you, I'm so sorry guys, I see you I want to pray for you right now. And listen, today can be a day when you start the process of healing. Today can be the day when you start that discipleship delivery that God uses His Word to touch and affect and to rekindle you, to put you back in that rightful place in the kingdom. Lord, I just pray for those that looked up this morning, those that didn't have the courage to look up, didn't have the, just felt like that they couldn't make that move this morning. Lord, I pray for them, Lord, that they would start that process, that you would just make yourself known, that they would start that process of healing, Lord, that they would, that they would see you in that light, that Sheila found you, that you are 
able and you are loving and that you have mercy and that you extend it through Jesus and that the cross and the death on the cross was enough. There's nothing past that that has to be done for this, for this guilt and this shame. There's nothing that's past that that has to be done for the grief and the sorrow. Lord, you are the answer to all of it. Lord, I just pray that you would wrap your arms around them this morning. That you would love them and you would take care of them. In Jesus' name, everybody said. And then for those of you this morning, as I mentioned during the sermon, listen, I just want you to, I just want you to draw close to Him. If you've been betrayed, if you've had something happen in your life, if somebody has treated you wrongly, believe that that forgiveness will set you free. Whatever has happened in your life, the, whether it's abuse or whether it's something that you are complicit in, God's forgiveness is enough. And you can let yourself up. You can start to live and breathe and walk fully in the rightful place that He's created you for. So I want to pray for you for that. And then I'm going to turn it back over to Pastor Drew. Lord, things happen. Things happen that were never supposed to happen. Betrayal, abuse, violation. Lord, I don't know what it would be this morning, but Lord, I just pray for anybody in this room that's hurting, that's, that's struggling, they don't know where to turn. Lord, I know that you inhabit our praise, that you have sat down with them, that you abide and you're living with them right now. Lord, I just pray that you would make yourself known to them in a way that they have never known. And Lord, that, they, that you, this morning, this morning right now, God, that you would show yourself strong and powerful. Lord, for those in this room that have struggled to believe that they could ever be released from the things that have happened or they have done, Lord, show them. Show them that they have a freedom song and that they can walk fully in that. And that freedom song is Jesus. Lord, we love you. We praise you. We thank you for this day. In Jesus' name, everybody said. Thank you guys so much. I am... Um, I didn't really know a lot about Save One until a year ago. I got to be part of a, a time together with Jack and Sheila and several other members and people who've benefited from this ministry, and um, it stirred my heart deeply. You, you know, you don't know what you don't know until you know what you didn't know. And um, once I began hearing stories and understanding that world it, it, it created a deep burden and um, I'm thankful that our church gets to be a small part of this ministry and I want to invite you today as a church, as individuals our church supports this ministry monthly but in this moment you have the opportunity to support it personally. And so ushers, if you'll come forward. 
John, help me out here. Because I'll never ask you to give if I'm not going to first give myself. And so I want you, I'm gonna, we're going to take a few moments. We're not going to move. I have, I have two requests of you today. The first request I have for you is that you give something. That you give something. Even if it's a dollar or a, a dime, something. That you would give something. The second request I have for you is that you would not give what is easy or convenient, but that you would ask the Holy Spirit, what God would you have me give? And then you would just be obedient to that, no matter how small or big that number may feel. And that we would be obedient to what Paul writes the church at Corinth, that we would not give under compulsion because nobody's up here twisting your arm. We've just, we're just telling you, hey, you can be a part of this. We're not guilting you, but the so that you wouldn't give under compulsion, but that you would give cheerfully as God directs you. So let's take just a 30 or 60 seconds or so. I won't say anything. And I want you to ask the Lord what he would have you give today. You can give in this offering as it goes by. You can give online. There's a box in the back if you need to give that way as well. But Father, we are grateful today for the privilege and the opportunity to partner with Save One. God, I ask your blessings on this ministry and on its leaders. God, that you would bless them above and beyond anything they could ever ask for, think, or imagine. Lord, thank you for 23 years of faithful service. God, I pray in the name of Jesus that 23 more will come with greater blessings than they've ever seen before. God, I thank you that LifeHouse gets to partner with them. And Lord, as we give this morning, we ask you to bless both the gift and the giver. In Jesus' name.